Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Before we bring on our next guest here, Bill Campbell from the Keystone Agricultural Producers, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, as you heard in the news, announced over $250 million for the agriculture and food industries in the country. Here's a bit of what the Prime Minister had to say. Farms and processing plants are raising more animals than the system can process into things like steak and bacon because of COVID-19. For many farmers, this crisis means that they have to keep animals for longer periods of time, and that can be expensive. So with this funding, we're giving extra help to beef and pork producers so that they can adapt to this crisis. Bill is the president of uh, CAP, the Keystone Agricultural Producers, and joins us now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for uh, jumping on here for a couple of minutes. As uh, Tristan mentioned in the news, not even close to the kind of money that was being asked uh, for, but I guess it's some help. Your initial reaction to the help announced today by our prime minister. Well, these are truly exceptional circumstances that farmers in agriculture are are going through now with COVID-19. And um, we welcome the government's support, but I think everybody acknowledges this falls short of what uh, we as CAP and through CFA have been lobbying for. Um, We had done some very in-depth research and uh, thought that a impact of $2.6 billion at this point in time is is being affected by agriculture. That's not even looking out further as to what some of the future consequences of COVID are. So, um, you know, it's it's a step in the right direction. And I think the Prime Minister mentioned that there may be more help as required. And I would suggest that that may be the case. And so hopefully we can continue the conversation. It is finally gratifying to realize that the government realizes the importance of agriculture and agri-food processing to this country. It's taken a long time uh, to get to that point of acknowledgement. Yeah, it really kind of has taken a long time uh, to get some acknowledgement, as you say, and and some recognition. Um, He did open, leave the door open to to more, which I I guess is a good thing. Give us a sense of how bad it is uh, for your members, Bill. Well, it's, you know, and I've said from the onset of this, it's it's the uncertainty. And as we have seen some of the consequences of the uh, the uh, meat processing facilities and the backlog, and, you know, this, this whole uh, food production system is built on a model of a chain. And when one part of that chain is disrupted, it, it backs up. And we are seeing significant amounts of hogs that are being uh, not being able to be processed or exported and uh, or processed. And then we see some of the uh, repercussions with the plants in Alberta. And, um, you know, this goes on, on and on in Quebec and different things. And we see the significance of the extra potatoes that are not being processed in, in Manitoba because no market um, for the French fries. And so, you know, it just, you could carry on for two hours or more of a conversation of what this impact is having on agriculture. And so it's, um, you know, there are certain sectors of our industry that are feeling more immediate consequences than other ones, but everybody's going to be affected and even consumers. 
Yeah, a good chunk of money, too, is going to be spent on food that would otherwise spoil, and that food will go to, well, places like Winnipeg Harvest, uh, food banks, which mm-hmm. I thought w- was something that uh, that made a lot of sense. Let's talk, you know, the weather's getting nice, and I know uh, many of your members are thinking, uh, you know, starting to get ready to seed. And as you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, the future is so unknown, Bill, right? I mean, that's a huge investment yeah. for, for growers, isn't it? Well, I've suggested that, you know, that we have approximately 10 million acres, if if the weather conditions are right, that will be seeded in Manitoba, you know, and a conservative number of 250 to 300 bucks of inputs go into that. That's that's huge. That's billions and billions of dollars that we will be putting in the ground. And we're not sure that we're going to get it back. Now, there's pretty good participation in agri-insurance, but it doesn't cover your cost of production. It, it, it's a production level uh, coverage, but it, it doesn't pay back your bills. And uh, so where we are in the marketplace, and that's why we have leaned on the government to provide some form of agri-stability, and that's what that model is for. It's not for profit-making. It's to provide the stability when there is disruptions in the market, be it uh, some extenuating weather circumstances, be it the China canola deal, um, be it rail blockades, be it whatever. And agriculture has probably experienced more than their fair share of disruptions in the last 18 months or 16 months. So, Yeah. Are you hearing uh, some uh, growers saying, I'm just going to sit it out, I'm not going to seed? Are you hearing any of that? I'm not hearing much of that. And and I honestly, I, I wouldn't blame some people for approaching it that way because the future is so uncertain. Well, we, you know, we've been doing this for centuries and we make our living by doing what we do. And we, we, we raise cattle, we raise hogs, we raise chickens for food. We put the seeds in the ground and, and that's what's in our DNA. And that's what we do to, to sit back and, and say, do nothing um, really rubs against the grain of what we do. But it, it, it is challenging to have that, that type of focus and incentive to carry on when when there isn't that form of certainty and um and we still have costs you know there's always that gamble of trying to make more than what you spend but sometimes that's that's not achievable um you know we deal with mother nature and, and and we know that but it's these other things that are are so frustrating to deal with and uh it's uh you know, we got to live too, and doing nothing is provides no revenue. So, sure, um, I'll give the final word to you here, uh, Bill. We're almost out of time. What do yeah. we need to know? What message do you want to get out there to people, to your members, to to producers, growers, and just to average Winnipeggers and Manitobans that care about the farm family? Well, you know, I've, I've kind of stated earlier. Contact your MPs, your MLAs, to get them engaged. Have a conversation about food security and, and, and all of that part. Of it. And as a producer and a citizen of this country, the food waste really is against farmers' uh, good nature. And we would like to see those that uh, require food get the food. Um, you know, we need to have a, a conversation about this purchase of surplus food and get it into the food banks. And there's been significant contributions by different sectors on that already. But um, we cannot afford to let food go to waste and starving people in this country. And so let's work together. Let's try and achieve some, some results that are positive for everybody. And 
um, you know, we'll forge ahead and, and carry on. But this could be a, a pivotal year in agriculture production in this country. So, Bill, thank you for this. Appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Hal, and thank you for your interest. So, All right. Bill Campbell is the president of the Keystone Agricultural Producers, reacting to federal supports, over $250 million, uh, for the farm sector and also um, for uh, the food industry as well. Joining us on the phone, number 97, they call him Big Bird, bomber great Doug Brown. Doug, good afternoon. How's it going, Hal? Excellent. How have you been making out through all this? I really need a haircut very badly. <laughs> I did not go yesterday, but uh, I kind of, I don't know, Like maybe, unless the Beetle haircuts are coming back, that's kind of what I, I, uh, I think I look like right now, at least that hairstyle. So uh-huh. it's, it's been an adjustment, that is for sure. But yeah, my life's been turned upside down just like everybody else. Yeah. And uh, it, it's pretty bizarre to think you know, big picture perspective, how this is really, uh, you know, a historical uh, event and, uh, you know, everyone has their own challenges through it. So it's, it's been, it's been quite the ride. Yeah. Back to your haircut. The good news is it's so way, it's so high up there. Nobody can really see it, Doug, you know, you're a big tall guy. I guess that's one of the advantages of being tall. I saw, um, well, I wanted to have you on for two reasons today. We'll get to the other one because we've got some very cool, Encore bomber audio that we'll be featuring on May Long Weekend, and we'll get into that in a second. But I saw this survey, 65%, so almost two-thirds of sports fans, say they want games back ASAP even if they can't be in the stands. Even if they can't be at the games, they want the games back as soon as possible. How about you? You're missing sports? Yeah, you know, that's one of my incomes as well. So I certainly want them back on uh, television and or having broadcasting uh, abilities as soon as possible, too. But I totally understand how that works uh, for people. You know, uh, sports is entertainment. Sports is an escape for people. And uh, if you can't be there in person, which is obviously ideal, then it is just as much of a... of uh, excitement and uh, it's enthralling and captivating for people to at least watch and, and to be taken out of their element, to have a moment in time where you can, you can focus in on something else. And, you know, when you're a fan of, uh, of any sporting organization, um, you know, and, and you feel connected to them in, in some respect, uh, watching a team, you know, succeed or fail or struggle or overcome, you know, these are all uh, challenges that just distract you and uh, take you away from your own uh, issues that you're going through on, on a daily basis. And it's uh, it's something that really connects with people. And I think it's very, very important, especially when it comes to returning to the normalcy of our of our days. Bob and I were talking, Knuckles and I were talking about this, I think about a week ago now. I don't think the CFL could come back and do games, uh, or it doesn't make much financial sense to do games without fans in the stands, though, right? Because, I mean, the CFL relies so much on on, on tickets uh, for, for generating revenue. Now, maybe they'll figure something out, but that was what Bob and I sort of concluded a week or so ago. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to... It's hard to uh, disagree with that that premise. I mean, it's it's long been known that the CFL really uh, depends. Uh, obviously, their TV deals have gone up ex- exponentially over, over the last decade or so. But um, you know, the, the gate, the number of uh, butts they have in seats, concessions, 
uh, all those things that, that go with it. Um, that has always been a huge part. Um, I, I think the biggest difference is like the NFL, uh, just from their TV deals, that covers all their operational costs for the National Football League. So everything else they get is, is gravy for them. But um, for the CFL, obviously, TV deals are nowhere near that magnitude. So they need the multiple streams of revenue and, and able to make it work and uh, make it viable. And I think that's why it is uh, you know, a critical function to have at least some presence of, of fans uh, in, in the seats to make it viable and, and a go-ahead for even a shortened season this year. And we're pretty happy about, excited about an idea that Kelly Moore came up with, CGOB Sports Director Kelly Moore uh, came up with this idea. But encore presentations of the Bombers run to the Grey Cup. We'll do the Bomber home finale against Calgary on Friday, May 15th. All the start times are about 7 p.m. This is May Long Weekend programming on CGOB. Then the CFL West Semi in Calgary, Saturday, May 16th at 7. The CFL West Final in Regina, Sunday, May 17th at 7. And then the Grey Cup postgame show and coverage of the downtown parade and celebration at the Forks, Monday, May 18th at 7 p.m. Pretty good idea. I mean, you were there, and part of it, I would imagine you'll tune that in, though. That's going to be cool. Oh, I mean, you can't get enough of you know, reliving an organization, celebrating a, a championship, especially one that was so long in the coming. Uh, people have been waiting uh, for many, many decades for that uh, corner to be turned. So, uh, yeah, it'd be exciting to relive it, obviously, and, and to uh, take yourself back. I mean, that's the whole deal about sports, right? It can... Uh, it can transcend moments or it can, it can take you to a different place and, and to get that sense of, of mind and, and relive that, that environment where, you know, they went in the most difficult of scenarios as a playoff team. They didn't have any advantages going into that. They had to go on the road three times essentially um, to end that drought. And uh, you know, I think with each successive game, You'll you'll hear the excitement build, uh, you know, from the player interviews, from from the call of the game. Uh, I just think it'll be great to really transport yourself back into uh, that time that really wasn't that long ago uh, when such a historic event occurred for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So that'll be a a great distraction right now uh, during this time to relive those moments and uh, to just be taken back in, into that environment and, and how successful that team did and how well they went on the road and accomplished their goals. Hey, I need a quick answer because I'm almost out of time here, Doug, but do you have a favorite or mo- a moment or two from all of that that we'll be replaying? Is there one or two things that really stand out in your mind? Um, just from the well, – I think, I think going uh, – Oh man, going into Calgary, that that was just, that is such a big, that's when it became possible, I think, for this football team. You know, it, like you said, it started off hard. It, it got even harder. Uh, you had to end it in, uh, in Calgary as well. So I, I just think, you know, going into a place where historically the football team has not done well at all and just pulling it out is so gritty with the number of injuries and and the number of people platooning in and out of that game, um, just the way it all started, I think, was uh, really exciting for me because you knew if they could do that, then they had an opportunity, right? Their hardest challenge was almost taking that first step, and then they were able to build that excitement and that momentum that, that took them all the way there. But for me, I think it was step one that is, is something because we weren't sure. 
how it was going to go. And we were nervous about it, just like, like the football team, I'm sure. And we were wondering whether they could get it done. And, and if you can win in Calgary, you can, uh, you can pretty much uh, accomplish anything you set your mind to in the, in the Canadian Football League, and, and that's how they started off. Doug Brown, thanks for this. Stay safe. All right, my friend. Thanks for having me on. And actually, our guest now has a new book as well, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, who we talk to on a pretty regular basis around here, has a new book out called Next. Congratulations on the book, Daryl. I should say that, first of all. Well, thanks a lot, Hal. I really appreciate it. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Um, I'm not sure how much of this is is in the book, but boy, it's great timing on, on the book and the title Next, because... Things are changing for Canadians very quickly, almost every day. What's your polling showing? How are our lives changing? Oh, well, we're all shut shut down, obviously. Uh, we're uh, in a situation where um, we're trying a lot of things that previously we may have thought about, but we're never really put in a position where we had to try them, like in the previous story that you uh, that you had on about, uh, about e-commerce and grocery delivery. So there's a certain number of things that involve technology and shopping and entertainment and communications that uh, are probably getting a lot more trial now out of necessity than they were before. It'll be interesting to see how much of that endures. But even things like, for example, shaking hands and how you greet people, one wonders how that's going to survive going into the future. But uh, in terms of fundamental changes to what's going on, the changes that were happening in Canada already are much bigger than probably what's going to happen as a result of COVID. And that really comes down to changing the nature of people. Uh, we're a much older population than we were. We're much more Western, increasingly Western in our orientation. And by that, I mean Western geography. And uh, immigration is having a really, really big impact on the composition of our population. And then there's just some basic things, too, that your polling shows that we're avoiding, like we're avoiding restaurants more, right? And, and we just now are starting to see restaurant patios reopening here. I mean, a lot of this stuff is, is to be expected, but any surprises in there? Well, you know, everything that you're feeling and everybody who's listening to this right now is feeling everybody else is feeling, too. Uh, so the idea of going out to a restaurant or a movie theater or flying on a flight is uh, really problematic for people, not necessarily because they don't think that they can get access to those things. Uh, it's more because they believe that there's a certain amount of risk associated with it. So there's going to be a period of time where people are going to have to maybe let other people try it or see some sort of reassurance in these various places before they will take it on. The biggest surprise I think I, I find in all of this is the degree to which people are absolutely following the party line in terms of self-isolation and continuing to support governments taking really strong positions about social isolation. Uh, watching the United States, it's a, it's a bit of a different kind of a circumstance. But in Canada, people are still pretty much aligned with what the governments are doing. And while they're not necessarily happy to do it, they're certainly not questioning it. Yeah, why are we seeing that pushback with some Americans, yet we're not really seeing that here? You're right, we're towing the line. Well, because I think in Canada, we have a, this real belief that government is collectively how we solve problems. Uh, we recognize that this is a big problem and that, you know, we've turned to government. They've responded, uh, at least in terms of the polling, what, what people are telling us, rather effectively in terms of dealing with this situation. So we all feel a collective responsibility to line up behind whatever that strategy is. And you're seeing it in terms of, you know, a level of government support 
overall, but also for the individual policies that are being put forward. In the United States, it's far more controversial, far more divided on a whole series of issues that are related to this, but also the the um, the, the the way that uh, the country is dealing with the crisis in the United States is also becoming much more partisan every day. In Canada, politics has been suspended. You know, you talk about changes around COVID-19, the way we're changing our lives uh, because of the, the virus. And then in your book next, uh, you know, you talk about other changes. Uh, does it matter? How, how are we changing and does it matter? Oh, yeah, I think it matters an awful lot because one of the things that we have a problem with, I think, in Canada is really misunderstanding what the country is all about now and particularly what the people are all about. Um, It's an older population than we think. The average Canadian is 41 years of age. Uh, It's a much more urban population than we appreciate. You know, we keep talking about the Great White North as though we have any experience with it. I mean, maybe a little bit of driving and winter driving in Winnipeg, but it's not like tons and tons and tons of people in Manitoba are living in rural areas. Um, People are living pretty much in in, in cities now. The fastest growing parts of our population are actually in the suburbs. So if you want to understand what's going to happen politically in the country, you want to understand what's going to happen in terms of business and economics in the country and culture in the country, you really have to understand the people and you have to understand who they are and where they're living. And we have a lot of assumptions about all of these things that are just wrong. Daryl, thanks a lot for this. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Hal. Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.